This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Imagine you're a parent of a school-aged child. You want your kid to get an education. Schools aren't telling you much about their plans, and you need to move forward. Enter the pandemic pod, a way that many parents and even teachers are discovering can be a good way to provide education without the risks currently associated with big classes. Carrie McDonald, Cato adjunct and author of the book Unschooled, comments. So pandemic pods are these remarkable examples of parent ingenuity and adaptability when confronting so much educational uncertainty related to the pandemic. Back to school plans, like you said, in many places are still not finalized. Some districts are planning on remote learning only this fall, continuing what they started last spring when schools shut down. Other districts are planning to do partial reopenings with students attending school a couple of days a week and then learning online for the rest of the time. So parents have been observing this back-to-school turmoil, and many are saying no thanks and are reassuming control of their children's education. We're seeing homeschooling numbers soaring uh, across the country in recent weeks. Uh, In fact, in North Carolina, so many parents submitted their online intent to homeschool form during the first week of July that it crashed the state's non-public education website. Uh, Last week, NPR reported that in Nebraska, homeschool applications are up 21% this year. This week, NPR reporting similar trends in New Hampshire. So some of these parents who are opting out of school for homeschooling this fall are planning to be independent homeschoolers, tailoring a curriculum for their own child. But others are forming these pandemic pods, which in many ways are a modern twist on traditional homeschool parent co-ops where a group of parents gets together to help teach their children. But with these pandemic pods, local families are connecting, usually informally through their neighborhoods or through their school system or online through Facebook groups to get their children together in small groups for teaching and learning. Um, In some cases, parents are taking turns supervising and teaching themselves maybe rotating homes throughout the week or choosing one set home to do this in. In other cases, parents are pooling resources to hire an educator or college student to help facilitate a curriculum with these children in their homes. So many of these pandemic pod families are operating independently from their school district. They've opted out of the conventional school program this fall. But I've also heard about instances, particularly in districts that have announced already fully remote learning this fall, where parents are planning to have their kids gather together to do go through the remote learning process as a small group rather than doing it in the isolated way that we saw happening last spring. So these pandemic pods are not just great for parents and for the kids who can now have some small group social interaction, but it's also been really uh, profitable and valuable for teachers. Okay, so uh, the value proposition for teachers... Um the numbers in an individual teacher's classroom uh, may vary widely, but let's assume it's 10 kids uh, that an individual teacher is able to take. They're all basically in this in the same boat with respect to uh, grade level. Uh, what's the value proposition for, for those teachers to, th- to say to themselves, maybe this is something I ought to do? 
Well, we have to remember that um, as hesitant as parents are to send their kids back to school this fall or as uh, frustrated as parents are with some of the back to school back and forth, teachers are feeling the same way. And many of them also don't want to head back into the classroom and are looking for other solutions. So this can be really helpful for those teachers. I spoke with one high school English teacher in Illinois who said, you know, she made $49,000 a year teaching uh, ninth grade and AP English. But she's finding now with private tutoring and some of this potting that's happening in her area that she can make more money with um, fewer hours and more flexibility. So she's really excited about that. I think we're seeing similar trends with other educators that are spotting this as a real opportunity. There's also um, these growing microschool networks that, of course, were gaining popularity well before COVID-19 hit. For example, Prenda, the home-based microschool network in Arizona, was growing rapidly um, over the past couple of years. They're obviously seeing increased interest now as well. But there are new microschool networks, this home-based, small group, sometimes multi-age, sometimes by grade cohort, uh, you know, really growing and getting much more traction during the pandemic. I spoke to two educators in Maryland who are starting uh, longtime educators public school, private school teachers, all kinds of classroom experience, they're starting their own microschool enabler to connect parents and connect teachers, as well as to provide some curriculum and learning support. Okay. So for parents who are thinking about it and for, and for teachers, frankly, who are, are thinking about it, what's the quickest way for them to get plugged in with uh, people who will be either supporting them uh, parents who would effectively be customers of of these things or uh, vice versa? Well, it's been really great to see just how organic and decentralized this process of connection has been, really fueled by social media and other kinds of online networks, parents connecting through, again, their local school systems, um, Facebook groups or uh, Yahoo groups, Google groups, that kind of thing. Facebook groups are sprouting across the country in different locations for parents looking for this kind of pod experience. Um, they can also connect with local homeschool groups, again, through Facebook or other kinds of social networks where they're seeing tremendous growth. Their numbers are rising as parents are wading into homeschooling who may never have thought they would do this before and are looking for these creative ways to make it work, including these pandemic pods. So there are all kinds of resources uh, for families to start connecting. And and then frankly, you know, I've, I've heard of a lot of examples of neighbors just talking with other neighbors. And so much of this is really local. It's, it's connecting with people that you know are sort of maintaining social distancing and trying to be responsible during the pandemic and then finding other families who feel the same way and and just small groups getting together to make this happen. One of the criticisms that has been uh, flying around about this, not this particularly, but parents who are deciding, uh, we're not going to even mess with the public schools. We're going to make other arrangements, be that a private school or a pandemic pod, or we're going to homeschool. And I guess a pandemic pod is like a co-op in a sense. That is, that it is cooperative in a sense, uh, not necessarily just like some homeschooling. But uh, the criticism is these are uh, going to be overwhelmingly parents of means. 
uh, by withdrawing their children from public schools, the public schools are going to lose money. And uh, by virtue of the fact that the schools are going to lose money, that creates and sustains inequities in educational outcomes for young people. Right. There has been a lot of criticism that these pandemic pods will increase social and economic inequities. I think the response to that, though, is to look at where our current K-12 education spending is going. So U.S. taxpayers right now spend over $700 billion every year on K-12 schooling. That's about $15,000 per pupil per year um, that could go to individual families in the form of education choice mechanisms, such as education savings accounts or tax credit scholarship programs or vouchers. So if we just think about ways of redistributing that that large expense on K-12 schooling and have instead have that money follow the child instead of following these sort of large bureaucratic systems, I think we'd have much more educational equity. And in fact, Neil McCluskey, of course, who leads Cato's Center for Educational Freedom, has a great new blog post up at Cato called A Pod for Every Child, basically making this argument that if we can allow for uh, education dollars to follow families, to go to families, that there will be much more access to a wide variety of educational choices. Uh, The pandemic pod just being the latest and what are some extraordinarily innovative, um, helpful ways of managing through this pandemic. Carrie McDonald is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 